I was a one lady band and I think clients liked that. They're like, right, this girl set up a business on her own. Good for her. They wanted to give me a shot. And I was just, you know, just super determined to make it work. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Susie Farrell. Susie is the director and founder of Addison, an executive recruitment and search firm based in Dublin, Ireland. Addison partners with organizations looking to attract exceptional mid to senior level talent within communications, corporate affairs, public affairs, and marketing. She has 17 years experience. Prior to launching Addison in 2018, she worked for global specialist recruitment brands such as Ampersand Executive, Talent2, and Michael Page in Ireland, Australia, and Middle East. Susie has extensively delivered across financial services and banking, energy and resources, telecoms, uh, retail, consumer and government sectors, into the areas of corporate affairs, marketing, and business transformation. Susie, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for uh, for that lovely introduction. Great to be on your on your show. Well, I'm, I was trying to work out how long we've known each other, and I think it's what four, five years, it's, something like uh, that. It's well, it's actually it's actually three years, uh, and I remember this because uh, when we first met, I had just had a baby, and now she is now nearly three and a half. Wow. Okay, that's a, <laughs> that's uh, a the great... timeline. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, amazing. Well, we'll talk about like your family and how you've you know created that flexibility for yourself uh, as we go along because you've done that's um, that's always a challenge for parents running a business and, um, you know, all the family commitments as well. So listen, could you just like take me back to the beginning of your recruitment career? How did you get into recruiting, Susie? Uh, Well, essentially, I first got into recruitment in 2004. Uh, I was in Australia. I was in Melbourne and um, I'd gone over to Australia just to do the sort of the the year traveling as you do uh, with my other half at the time, who's now my husband. And um, I actually was I'd come from a marketing background and I it was one of those conversations with Michael Page, uh, which is a very, you know, I guess they've they've a pretty big market share in the Australian market. And I went in interviewing for a marketing role and suddenly the conversation turned into, have you thought about recruitment? (laughs) So that's how it all began. So I joined Michael Page in 2004, very much looking after marketing. My first desk was purely contracting uh, back then. We had no LinkedIn. Uh, It was all just about networking, emailing candidates, phoning candidates, just on the phones pretty much 12 hours a day. Um, So that was very much my first experience of of recruitment. Fantastic. And um, how long did you did you do that marketing, you know, contract desk for? So I was in that role for about two years and then I moved on from Michael Page. I was uh, approached by another business called Talent2 again in Melbourne and joined a wonderful marketing and communications uh, portfolio um, and pretty much look, goodness, I probably worked with the best people in 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 the game uh, in that particular team they were absolutely amazing so lots of opportunity to learn and grow again looked after contracting so so I, really i actually it's interesting when i sort of reflect back it's only probably in the past 5 or 6 years where i've completely specialized in doing uh, more permanent um uh, appointments Prior to that, I was very much a contract recruiter through and through. So, um, but working across, you know, different types of portfolios th- during that time. Amazing. What What was it that made Talent2 such a significant experience? You said it was a great place to work, you know, people at the top of their game. What? what why is that? Just really highly experienced um, and just really experienced recruiters. So Talent2 was made up of people who like a team of people who they'd come from other, I guess, recruitment and search firms. They've been in the industry a long time. 
Um, and so I guess I was joining a team that were like super, super experienced. They'd all been working in their respective markets for maybe six, eight, 10, 15 years. Um, so we together, I guess, as a, as a team, we, we just collaborated very well together and we, we just went on all our meetings together. So those, you know, any pitch that we went into, we would always win. Um, so it was just a very, very, just a talented team of recruitment professionals. I'd really probably never seen anything like it before. And we, we just built a very, very good brand for ourselves. Um, and it's, it's interesting because that particular team I worked with, Talent2, um, they, a couple of them decided to pull together. And whilst I was, I'd actually left after a, a, two years working in this particular team, I moved to Dubai. And while I was living in Dubai, three or four of the senior managers of that particular team left Talent2 and set up their own business, which became Ampersand. And then I ended up going back to Australia after my stint in the Middle East and joined that particular business, Ampersand. So, okay, wow. Yeah, so there was kind of like There's, a, there... a 10 year working relationship and I guess friendship um, with that particular group of people. Amazing. You sort of threw the Dubai in there. Right. How did that, wh <laughs> why and uh, why did you go to Dubai and then back to Australia? So I, I, when I left, when I initially left Melbourne, I, um, I guess had gone back to Ireland, to be honest, this is back in 2008. And this is when, uh, the recession had hit. Oh, absolutely. I got back to Ireland and within a, a th you know, two to three month period, I realized I'd made a big mistake leaving Australia. <laughs> And I had former colleagues who just moved to Dubai and had joined Michael Page in Dubai. So, um, so pretty much got the call just to say, look, why don't you move over here? Give this a go. Um, so I moved to Dubai and picked up a completely different area, which was human resources. So I looked after HR recruitment. And I guess, look, it was an interesting time because I was based in Dubai, but very much recruiting across a number of different markets within that particular region. So, um, and it was very much my first experience managing processes where you'd never actually get to meet the candidate or the client. So it was all just done over the phone and, and on Skype. It was just Skype back then. So this is kind of back in sort of, you know, 2008, 2009. Uh, so it's just really interesting how sort of now we're at you know, 2021. And I've pretty much spent the entire past 12 months um, managing processes, but not actually meeting people because due, due to the pandemic. Um, so back then, I definitely, um, it was an adjustment, but now, goodness, you just get used to it. So, but it was a really interesting period. Um, and look, to be honest with you, Dubai for me wasn't really uh, my kind of place. So, I had kept in touch with my former boss um, and just a wonderful, wonderful uh, individual called Hayley James. And she had since then set up Ampersand with a number of other people. And she just said, come on, come back, come back to Melbourne. Awesome. So, um, so that's pretty much very kind of short stint in Dubai. Like I was, I was really just there a little bit under two years. And then I moved back to Melbourne, back to Australia. Fantastic. All right. And so, and was that still doing contracts, Susie, at that point or? Yes, it was, yeah. it was an interesting one. So I went back to join their business to pretty much set up um, an entire new function from scratch, from scratch, which was change management consulting. Uh, so change management as um as a, I guess, as a, as an industry, uh, had really, really picked up, um, during that time. Uh, there were a number of consulting firms, obviously placing change, change managers for pretty much, you know, for pr pretty, um, high, high rates on high fees. And um, so what we wanted to do is kind of, I guess, present, a, you know, just a, 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 a different kind of offering where, we would go out and source change managers or change consultants, however you want to call them. Um, and yes, place them uh, as a, as daily rate contractors um, you know, more independent contractors, but then obviously charge a margin. So, so pretty much 
that business was very much, you know, was set up from scratch, going out to um, develop relationships with new clients um, build a team. So we ended up building a team between, across Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, so, and yeah, look, great experience. Probably I'd say one of, the, I guess something that I'm, I'm, you know, one of my most proud achievements really. So just in terms of coming back into Australia and, and building a business from, from scratch again, but still leveraging, you know, relationships as well from the rest of the team. So the relationships that they had. So, um, but we really did build a, a wonderful uh, change management practice. Amazing. So talk me through then, because this seems like a significant, you know, a milestone in your career is building up this change management practice from scratch. Um, how did you go about doing that? And, and and then what ultimately, like when when you left, what was the sort of size and shape of that business? Uh, so I guess it was, look, it was very much about... Um, delivering I know this sounds very simple and straightforward but it was about getting a couple of early wins with um with one of the major banks in Melbourne and uh I guess in the change practice and the kind of change management sort of arena it's quite a small network of people so everyone knows everyone and um so I guess look it was about kind of showing demonstrating some credibility, you know, showing what I could do um, demonstrating my understanding of the function, which I did pretty quickly. Um, and from then, uh, it was just very much relying on introductions, referrals into new clients. Um, and I guess just a lot of, um, you know, presenting, um, I, I guess, a, a lot of MPC marketing, what you would call misplaceable candidate marketing. Uh, so presenting proactive, you know, um, proactively presenting candidates and clients. So that's pretty much how the business built up. Uh, so and to the point when I left Australia, so I was running that business for five years Um we had a team, we had a team of five um, and goodness, like we, we probably at any one time had maybe sort of a, 100 120 contractors out working for us so it was it was wow. became it became quite a big business you know across those two markets amazing that sounds that sounds brilliant do you remember what the revenue was uh so revenue wise um goodness we were we were probably going into like a, a i'd say 1.5 um million dollar business um annually so brilliant all right. So um, you kind of skimmed over like how you built it. You did MPC marketing. You made sure that you had great relationships with your candidates, that you demonstrated your understanding and credibility in that space. And then that because of that, you got referrals and introductions. Um, but you made it sound almost easy. And I'm sure it was not like what was the biggest challenge or obstacle to building that practice? Uh, I, I guess, look, to me, when, so, so look, I'm, I'm probably better in person uh, in terms of meeting with clients and candidates. And that's very much just how I built up the network. So um, I'm not someone who does the whole cold calling. There was a lot of just meetings, meetings, meetings. Um, I also set up a change management forum which, you know, allowed senior change management practitioners to sort of come together and meet up like once a month or every two months. So um, again, you know, that kind of whole concept built up and it just really helped, I guess, helped kind of build and sort of, you know, um, cement those relationships. Uh, so it was, yeah, look, it, 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 was, it was just a process of just, constantly meetings 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 every single so week yeah i that is a gene your forum idea is genius and there must not have been meant i mean even now there's not many recruiters doing that sort of thing and i can imagine back then it would have been even more quite unique in that in that market um how did that actually work so we would get together for like every 
there, there might have been 40, 50 people in this group. And okay. at any one time, you might have 20 to 30 people in the room. We would bring in um, sometimes guest speakers. And and if we didn't have a guest speaker, then one of the members of the group would, you know, speak and host like a, and, and select a topic. Uh, so we generally would meet in the morning, you know, over breakfast, we'd have a few croissants or coffee or whatever. And, and then we'd kick off and have a very much kind of a, you know, um, a discussion for, for about an hour. So, um, and look, I, I guess my role in that was, I was very much the facilitator bringing the group together. Uh, I'm not the expert in the room. I, you know, know how to recruit and identify talent in this space, but, um, but, you know, I relied very much on the group to come and actually participate in the, in the discussion. So, um, so I guess that really did help um, my, my, I guess my overall sort of building my own personal brand in the change management market. Uh, and yeah, look, um, I guess it's, it's just, it's interesting because a lot of those people ended up, we got to know each other quite well and they ended, ended up kind of becoming friends. And the interesting thing is because I was dealing with senior candidates, I guess I would be placing these candidates, but then sometimes these candidates would be also become clients. So it was that kind of relationship. I love it. Susie, this is such a golden nugget. Like this is worth the price of admission just right there. That's uh, a fantastic idea. And I love how you organized that. So let me just really get the nitty gritty a little bit. So it was like a breakfast, monthly breakfast meeting or how yeah, often? Exactly. So every, we generally caught up it, it might have been every two months. Uh, okay. So, but yeah, every two to three months, we definitely tried to help host one, one, uh, one per quarter. Okay. Uh, so, and look, it, it is, it is something that worked um, extremely well and so much so that it is an idea that, and a concept that I brought back to Ireland and I now, um, I, it's now something that I do in the, my in this market that I'm currently managing now, which is obviously my business. As you've you know, as we've as we as you know, is across corporate communications and corporate affairs. So I've now set up a corporate affairs forum, which is called the Corporate Affairs Advisory Board, which is CAB. Um, corporate Affairs Advisory Board. Okay, cool. Yeah, which is a very look. It's a similar kind of concept that we first set up that I first set up in Melbourne, but now it's obviously for corporate communications practitioners. Now, the difference with this one is it's that it's, it's very much targeted at, it's only for directors and head of function level. Um, so it's because you're trying to create like that kind of peer, like a real peer group for people. It's very much Chatham House rules. So everything that's talked about you know, in, 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 in these meetings, you know, it stays amongst us. Um, so again, it's been this, the corporate affairs board here, I have to say has been, you know, has been the best thing that I've set up in Ireland because it's really helped Addison get up off the ground, um, and really helped me build my brand. And I guess when I look at the clients that I would deliver into and have a very, you know, a, a good working relationship with now, it's all due to the corporate affairs board. So I can't give you numbers in terms of revenue, but a number of new assignments, a number of jobs, a number of clients, they've all come through this networking group that I set up. Love it. It's such a yeah. great concept, Susan. You've done a, a brilliant job with that. I did a poll on LinkedIn recently to find out what fee percentage recruiters charge. And it confirmed what I'd learned from speaking with so many recruiters every day. The majority of recruiters are undervaluing their service and cutting their fees to become more competitive. Listen, if you want to protect your cash flow and build reserves to protect your business against whatever might happen in the future, you need to be earning more for each placement, not less. The challenge, of course, is how to increase your fees and still be competitive iIntro has helped hundreds of recruiters to make small but critical adjustments to the way they pitch and win business so they can win more clients who are also willing to pay higher fees. For example, one of their clients typically earned 5,000 pounds per placement. 
But just a few weeks after working with iintro, she won a new piece of business on a retainer. So in other words, she got a deposit and her fee was an incredible 20,000 pounds, four times her average. If you'd like to see how iintro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained and book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you're a listener of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, iintro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount off any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. So let's rewind just slightly then. Um, you decided to come back to Ireland, which I guess, you know, eventually most people, not everybody, but most people, yeah. expats, you know, sooner or later, especially if you are you know, wanting to settle down or going to, are going to come home. Was that the motivation or what, what was it yeah. that made you want to? So, well, it was, we, I, I guess we'd been living overseas for 13 years. Um, my husband and I had our first child was born in Melbourne and, oh, wow. and Patrick. And so when we made a decision, we very much made the decision just around wanting to be around family. So we absolutely loved Australia. So we had such an amazing, um, amazing lifestyle there, amazing group of friends. And I guess a group of friends who were really our family, like our family over there. But ultimately, we wanted to move back, you know, and be with our families here and have our and raise a family and raise our kids in terms of them being around grandparents, cousins, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, so we came back in 2015. And it's it's funny because when I look back at it now, I actually had resigned to Ampersand, uh, <laughs> resigned in, in tears because did not want to leave Melbourne and did not want to leave the business. Um, and pretty much straight away, they responded with, well, why don't we just set up Ampersand in Dublin? We don't want you to leave the business either. So I was wow, given that's that's amazing yeah. that they like. In fact, I don't know why more businesses don't do that. Like if someone is moving for the right reasons, like the, it's not because they are going to a competitor or that they aren't enjoying that culture. Why not try and create a new opportunity from that? That's it. Exactly. And look, I, I was felt very, um, touched that they had so much faith in me to do it really. So, uh, so we came back, <laughs> came back to Ireland, uh, and I set up, yeah, pretty much, you know, set up this new business at the same time of trying to find somewhere to live. And at the same time of actually getting married, this all happened within a six weeks, six week period <laughs> and my husband wow. starting a new job. So we look back at it now and go, God, that was a crazy sort of three or four months. Um, but I, yeah, look, that was probably the scariest moment I think I've ever had in my recruitment career. Day one, being in an office by myself in a new market and um, where I look, I was probably a little bit naive. I thought, how hard can this be to set up a business in Ireland? I'm Irish and I've got really got relationships. But when you're starting from absolutely nothing, you know, it's, um, it is quite daunting. So, um, so, so let yeah. me just highlight the difference. So when you built the practice in change management, although that was a new area, it was within the context of an established business. Yes. And you had yeah. the infrastructure, the support, the co- the colleagues, the yeah. like client relationships to some extent. And, and but this time it was really from scratch because there was nothing you were like ground. You were just building it from the ground up. Exactly. So, um, and look, I guess what we were trying to do was we had such a wonderful brand name and reputation in Australia and actually across sort of um, like that sort of, you know, Singapore um, region and Hong Kong sort of um, region. And, but it was just, I guess what we were trying to do was set up a business, which we we've got this great brand and this great reputation. Let's just bring it to Ireland. But but I just found that every single client I went into to meet, they were all like, OK, well, who are your clients here? What work have you done here? And I was like, well, I can't tell you that because we're starting from nothing. So um, and that's just just how I found that, like, there was a lot of goodwill here in terms of in, in the Irish market, like and 
you know, and a lot of people that I still was able to kind of, you know, send a message to and go, can you help me with this introduction? So people were very, very kind and very helpful in that respect. So there was a lot of goodwill. But when it came to actually meeting a brand new client and trying to, um, I guess, demonstrate what we could do, you know, it was it was difficult because we couldn't we couldn't sell the Irish story because we were starting from nothing. So um, and we probably look, uh, I guess it didn't quite work out. So and I'm happy to share that um, because it's it's something that uh, that I probably it's been a learning for me and that we, you know, trying to set up a business where you're, you know, you're trying to use uh, the legacy and a reputation from a completely different market and then trying to sort of just plant it in a a whole new market. And the Irish market works very differently. It is very much all about relationships. And it's just, that's just quite a difficult task. So, Mm. um, and straight away, we hired a team where it was all about let's have this big team so so we've got scale and it looks like to clients we have scale but in actual fact we had no clients so um so there was there was big pressure on on me and the team to get up and running and get up and running fast you know so we could start billing um but that does take time so if i you know if i if I, goodness, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but if I look back at it now, I would have done it differently. I would have gone, okay, let's just keep the business small, just me for the first year. So we can kind of slowly and gradually build it up rather than having this team and having just, you know, this massive cost hanging over our heads with salaries every single month. So, um, so ultimately, look, it didn't quite work. Um, and so, that's probably been my biggest regret and biggest disappointment um, because it was such a, you know, I ran such a successful business in Australia and the directors had such faith in me to do it in Ireland, came back, built up this team and we just didn't quite get there quickly enough. Um, and yeah, looked very, really disappointing. And it was just really just, I, I felt I'd let the directors down in Australia and felt like I'd let the team down here. Um, but, you know, we they decided to pull back their operations from Ireland and just focus on their, their, their Australian business. So I'm still friends with the directors, like we're still in touch all the time. Um, so, but yeah, look, sometimes you just try things and they don't work out and you just have to sort of learn from it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for sharing that story, Susie, because I think it's important for people to hear not just the high points and the successes, but also the the disappointments. I know you were particularly devastated about that one because you really already like you were friends with and and you know comrades with the people that you were uh in partnership with right yeah. and so it feels like a big um yeah it, it's this is called the resilient recruiter for a reason because yeah. that is the reality is not everything works out and the people who are successful in this industry are the ones who can recover from failure from disappointments from you know those feelings of, of, um, you know, you must've been just gutted at the time. How did you bounce back from that? And what happened from there? Uh, well, absolutely. Look, I, yeah, confidence was pretty knocked. Um, and I, there was the option to, I guess, continue the business with just me. Um, but I, I, I thought there were, they're just, it, we we'd given it a good go and I just thought, look, maybe the best thing is to do is to part ways. And they want, you know, ultimately they would have kept the business running here for me, given our, our history and our friendship. But ultimately I knew deep down they wanted to pull the operations. So, so we agreed that that was the best thing to do. Um, and yeah, look, my confidence was pretty knocked. I was also quite heavily pregnant at the time, about six six months pregnant. Um, and I absolutely questioned leaving agency life altogether. So, um, I thought, okay, this is my time to go in house. 
But I, goodness, I just knew like in-house just wasn't for me. You know, I'm an agency person through and through. Um, so I just had to pick myself up again. And I guess being pregnant, you know, I just was like, okay, well, even though I've only, I was six months pregnant, I was like, I still have a chance to, you know, to get the business set up, get all the, the process and the structure right, start going out there, making some calls. So, and look, I guess, the good thing that I was able to do was I was able to contact people and say, and I, I explained that at Ampersand was no longer, that they pulled back their operations um, in Ireland. Um, but I was continuing under my, a new brand name, which was my own business called Addison. Uh, so an Addison, the name Addison has actually come about through, it was actually the name of the street I lived on in Melbourne. <laughs> so, oh, cool. So I actually can't take credit for that. That was my husband's idea. So, um, so I just, yeah, look, we, we set up that, we, I, I set up Addison. I say we, it was just me. Um, and I just felt, you know, going into this stage of my life where having a, a young baby, a second child, um, I just felt this would give me the flexibility as a working mother, um, now, yes, it gave me flexibility, but goodness, it was a bit of a crazy first 12 months because I like I was literally on the tools working to the day that I actually gave birth, you know. Oh my I, goodness, is I, it? That just sounds yeah. it was like crazy. stressful. What yeah. Okay, so the, paint a picture for me. So you're literally about to give birth, but you're still in the office. Like what 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 was going through your mind at that point when you're uh, you're trying to make placements and like baby could be and, any, and have, any day and, now. and have a baby at the same time. Well, yeah. look, I my husband kept on saying he was in the always in the background saying, you know, let me help you. I can make these calls. I can send emails. I was like, yeah. And I always knew he'd be in the background to help, you know, if I really needed it. But look, I was lucky, you know, I was able to. <laughs> pretty much have a baby and kind of leave the hospital the next day. Um, the funny thing is I have this like uh, memory of a client phoning me when I had like a newborn in my arms and uh, it was like six o'clock at night and they were calling with a new brief. And like, I just said nothing. I didn't say, they didn't know that I was in hospital having a baby. I said nothing. I oh, so you didn't tell your clients that you were a actually having a baby? No, a number of my clients didn't know. And look, I, yeah, like I, I actually, I didn't want them to know because I was a new business. I didn't want them to think I was going to be stepping back and then I'd lose that relationship and they'd call someone else, you know, um, I was really protective over just setting up this, this new, you know, Addison business. Um, wow. And so I, I ended up absolutely continuing like I didn't like I, I of course I took time off to to you know to to look after to look after Frankie uh but I was still on the tools I still took briefs um I wasn't going out there business developing but I was still very much managing you know any brief that came in any requirement that came in I managed it and I shortlisted it and I got the CVs out so um, I wasn't so available for meetings and particularly with candidates. And I look to candidates. I did explain, look, I have a newborn at home. They were fine. Um, but it was it was a funny time though because a number of clients, they call me like six months later and go, we'd just be chatting. They're like, do you have a newborn? I'd be saying, yeah, well, she's now six months. And they're like, so you were probably in the hospital, like actually recruiting at the same time. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So. <laughs> so Susie, wait, you, you started telling a story about like you, you got a call for a client brief and you had a newborn in your arms. Did like, did the client ever know? Like you had, no. you just kept taking the, <laughs> yeah. you heard Susie taking the job order with yeah. Frankie at a few days old. That's um, yeah. hilarious. Yeah. But, but okay. look, that, I don't know that sounds crazy. Uh, I wouldn't do that now. But at the time, you know, needs must. It was a new business and I was determined to, I'd done all the work in getting it up and running uh, and I was just determined to make it work. And I really didn't want to think that, you know, I'd be dropping the ball. So clients, so I just continued. But I, I honestly, I, I wasn't going out, you know, 
all the BDE calls and trying to pick up new jobs. That for that four first four or five months um, with a new baby, I I just when a job came into me, I managed it. So Got and it. I was lucky. I was lucky. You know, the work continued to come in that summer without me being sort of hard. You know, hard on the business development. Wow, what a what an achievement that is to to pull that off, Susie. Like, wow, that's <laughs> you're blowing my mind. Um, so respect. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So listen, since that time, Addison has gone from strength to strength. What would you say is the secret to the success that you had that didn't, you know, it didn't work out with um, Ampersand, but then the second go around, you've really made it work? Uh, I think, I think it's, look, I, I guess the experience that I had with Ampersand in terms of the market that I first was doing was, you know, I'd started to build up relationships in communications and corporate affairs. So it kind of kind of was a, an easier transition because I was pretty much saying, look, it's just me. You're still dealing with me. It's just a new business, a new business name. So um, and because it was just me, I I guess I've probably felt um, this I guess, a level of responsibility, really, that I had to make it work, uh, you know, that I wanted to make it work. I didn't want to let myself down and let down, and of course, just also let down my family, you know, I had two small kids. Um, and I, I guess, you know, I, I felt just empowered, I guess, really, because this was my moment to, you know, grow my own business, which probably deep down, I really always had wanted to do, but it was just about the timing and I, I have to say, like, there's no way I could have done it without the experiences that I had previously. So, like, I absolutely, you know, I'm really grateful for the people I've worked with in Ampersand, you know, Haley James, Sarah Wilson, Lloyd Lazaro, like, they were all amazing. So, and I, th- so I, gotta, I guess I learned a lot from them. But in terms of making it work for me, um, look, I have to say it was timing and I I guess at the time communications and corporate affairs in Ireland as a function was only was starting to build post it was rebuilding post the recession um and anybody I was speaking to they were pretty un, look they were probably a little bit underwhelmed about the kind of service that they were getting from other agencies and no disrespect to other agencies but I think it's quite a niche area um, and I guess clients were finding that these recruiters just w- weren't quite understanding the function. So I understood the function. I had massive history in it. I'd recruited in comms and marketing when I first started in 2004. I knew what I was doing. So, so look, I was probably able to demonstrate um, credibility. Like I was my, I was a one man band as, as a one lady band. And I think, I think clients liked that. I think clients like they're like, right, this girl set up a business on her own. Good for her. They wanted to give me a shot, really, you know. Um, and 
I was just, you know, just super determined to make it work. So um, I think I was also really brave with my instincts at the time. So I did, you know, I didn't want to let noise get in the way. So I was like, I'm doing this. And if it didn't work, then then I didn't know what I was going to do. So <laughs> I had to make it work. Amazing. So there was a lot riding on this, but, and you, it was, sounds like you just had the mindset that I am going to make this work. And you chose a niche that you knew a lot about. So you, and it was a function that was growing in Ireland. Yeah. So all of your past experience had really set you up for success. And then there was a market opportunity there and you grabbed it and you've um, you've done really well with it. So yeah. Um, now you mentioned that you replicated your forum idea and set up the Corporate Affairs Advisory Board. Uh, so that is a phenomenal idea. One difference though, is that like a lot of your experience had been in contract, but now you do permanent and kind of mid yeah. to senior level appointments. And I know you do a lot of your work on a retained basis. So how, why did you decide to go retained and and what was involved in making that transition? Uh, so I wanted to go retained because I, I felt it was really risky uh, running a business and being the only person in the business and having all this contingent work. So never really knowing, okay, well, what, what money's going to come in next month? Um, and I had, I, I guess I had, had been in a lot of meetings where in ampersand in Australia, every single meeting that I had went, I'd gone, you know, joined with a a permanent recruiter every single time, every single time they pitched retained. So I knew I'd pitch retained. Um, I just, I just hadn't really done it myself because I was a contract recruiter. That's not, that's not the model. That's not the model. It's different. Um, so I, I felt that to get, you know, to give, to make my business really solid, it needed to be a retained model. Now I say not every single brief is retained, you know, but probably 80% of my work is now. And, um, it just it it just helps you forecast. We know we we know all of this. It helps you forecast, guarantees revenue, um, but it also just guarantees that I'm going to deliver the results because I absolutely have to do it. They've paid for it, so um, and it just guarantees an outcome for a client. So, but I do feel working on a retained basis really kind of helps um firm up the relationship you have with your clients because you're in a contact with them a lot more. It's a real high touch process. It's, um, you know, a regular contact, right? The process, you get to know them better. Um, so I, I just, and also I was starting to do a lot more senior work. So my business has always been about, you know, my, my sweet spot is to deliver between mid to senior level appointments. But I guess 12 months into the business and then two years into the business, I was finding I was being approached and pitching myself to do a lot more senior work. So um, I probably just needed the confidence to, you know, I just had to back myself doing it every time. And now I've done that now. Goodness, it's 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 funny how things, you know, how how, how I feel like I've grown because now I, I kind of go, well, why wouldn't you be contacting me for a director level role or a head of role? And why wouldn't you be retaining me, you know? Um, so I just feel like I've been able to really build, um, I guess, my experience and my credibility in that space. So um, hope that Beautiful. Re- yeah. yeah. And what I love about that is like now it's natural and it's the logical thing for you to do. And you have lots of success to give you that confidence, right? And so exactly. it's almost like success leads to more success. Yeah. But in the beginning, it was more just a decision that you made because like it was the it was less risky to be retained than to yeah. be contingent. And you absolutely had to make sure that you could generate revenue to support your family. And so yeah. you just approached it with that mindset, like this is the way that I'm gonna do it. I love that. 
exactly. And it's interesting because now I'm starting to go back to my contracting days and I'm now building up my contracting portfolio. Oh, amazing. So I've been placing permanent candidates, you know, in the past three years. And it's only really this year that I made the decision that I needed to get all my processes and paperwork set up to to be able to place consultants in my space. And and now I've just placed two. So Yes, uh, well done. That's awesome. Yeah, so so that's yeah, so that's great because it's look, it's um it's look placing a contractor or a consultant for 12 months is really good revenue. So um it, it just it just took me a while just to set some time aside and get that set up and be able to say that oh yeah I can support your you know client hey client I can support you with doing this and also just to offer that question so every time I was picking up a permanent role you know I I was not asking about contractors you know would you not consider bringing in an interim for three months so now you've got to build up your interim network in order to do that and that's going to be slow and um, but now I'm a little bit more confident in offering that as a solution. Beautiful. So you've got the best of both worlds. And um, Susie, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you, make sure that we cover today, which is you were involved in a really interesting um, initiative in the last 12 months, uh, the COVID comms awards. Could you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Because I think that was such a cool concept. Yeah. So um so through the Corporate Affairs Advisory Board, I was introduced to um, a super contact in the UK, a, a lady called Helen Dunn. And she has been, she's been running, um, she's the editor of, a, of an industry magazine, an industry publication called the Corporate Communications Magazine. And she has been running uh, a communications awards for about 10 years. Uh, she was a guest speaker in one of the forums about two years ago. Um, and, you know, we've struck up a, a, you know, relationship, become friends and we're in contact a little bit. So she approached me to say last year, because of COVID, um, she couldn't do an in-person awards in the UK. Um, and she was running um, a complete virtual awards called the COVID comms awards in the UK. And she said, would you be interested in helping to launch the same, uh, awards, same, same event in Ireland? I was like hundred percent, this is a great opportunity. So, so we, um, yeah, so we pretty much partnered together. Um, she was the person in terms of, you know, setting up all the logistics, um, you know, um, she had entertainment on the night. Uh, she was the one who she created all the different categories. There was like ten or twelve different categories, and pretty much the whole purpose of the awards was to was for people in comms um, to be recognised for the work that they've been doing during the crisis. So, um, so comms has been a function which, you know, it's probably the one of the functions that's had such profile in the past 12 months because during the pandemic everybody was working from home suddenly organizations were going how are we going to engage how are we going to communicate to our staff um and then how do we kind of show externally what are we doing as an organization you know to to support communities to you know what are we doing I guess the sustainability. So all this stuff was started to, started to be talked about a lot more. Um, and organizations were really leaning in on the comms function like never before. So, so comms people were, um, you know, trying to work from home, manage families, but then also try and help their organizations stick together in terms of communication. So it was a big, big hard task. So, so Helen felt it was a really good idea to to put an awards together, a virtual awards program to help, um, you know, like for us to be able to recognize people's efforts, you know, in comms. Um, so there was all different categories, like there was best internal comms team, there was best CEO leadership communications, like there's all these different categories. So, so my role in it was to 
um, was to obviously build the profile, advertise it, um, you know, on using social channels and that, and just use all of my network to get everyone involved in this and submit entries. Um, so, yeah, look, we had a great response. Everyone thought it was a brilliant idea. Um, and then we ran the awards night uh, back in May. We used a platform called Airmeet, uh, which is, yeah, look, it'd be a pretty popular virtual kind of conference platform now. Uh, we had entertainment on the night and, yeah, it was brilliant. Like, you know, just massive interest. Um, now, Helen has gone back to having her in-person awards uh, this year. She actually just hosted it in London last week. So, um, you know, it would be terrific to run in another awards program next year. But who knows? We may be able to do it in person next time. It's such a brilliant idea. And I, I you know, applaud you for recognizing that and really seizing it. It must have been quite a lot of extra work. But um, what do you feel has been the benefit in terms of your profile in that space in Ireland and and like what uh, what is what did you feel would be the benefit to Addison? Uh, so I look, I think it's it's helped just put my uh, my 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 name, my brand name, my own personal brand, like within the comms industry, it's kind of put it helps kind of ferment it a bit more, if that makes sense. Um, and also, I, I used the awards to sort of to get in, you know, to open up doors with new clients because there was a, I could see who had entered. So it was a bit of kind of a soft sell. I'd follow up and say, how did you find the awards? And, you know, so it opened up new connections, definitely. But it was just something that I really enjoyed doing because I wanted to support the industry that I'm in. Like I need to be, I'm in this market. Yes, I recruit for this market, but I want to feel like I'm really supporting the function and advocating for the people that I'm recruiting. So, and I think that they do great work. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that story, Susie. It's brilliant. And uh, so impressed with the work you're doing. And, um, you know, loving um, this, uh, yeah, uh, this experience of hearing your full story. I, I, We've known each other three years, but I've learned about you even more. <laughs> really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Uh, thank you, Mark. I've really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed this today. I was a little bit nervous, but I've actually really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, Great. I'm was, glad you, you enjoyed right. it. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I think people will get a lot out of this. So many great ideas, but also they'll be able to relate to you. You were very um, real about like the highs and the lows of, of this business. And um, so thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank All you right. For- Have a great day, Susie. Catch okay, up again you soon. Too. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.